You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Player out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts. Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on Talking Chop, where I've been the deputy site manager for two seasons now and the minor league editor for the better part of five seasons. You may follow me for my work over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, where I tweet mostly about baseball, and every once in a while I just tweet things to make people mad at me, which, you know, with varying amounts of success, I suppose. I have two guests joining me this evening. The, what this show is going to be, it's going to be an abbreviated show. I will let everyone know because it's very specific, but I did want to kind of put some thoughts out there uh, about the top 30 prospect list that we just released over on Talking Chop. Make sure you read through that whole list. It's going to make what we're saying in this podcast a lot Make a lot more sense, I guess, is the best way I know how to describe it. But joining me are two of the participants in the making of that list. First, we have Matt Powers. You can follow him at Twitter at MattPowers31. Matt's been kind of our draft coinosaur for the better part of, you know, three seasons now, I believe. Three, maybe four. Um, and uh, he's... For Ian Anderson draft. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were in, it was, it was 2016. Um, and... From there, he's been kind of the our our guy, a go-to guy on draft. He's also really been helpful on the minor league side and been an integral part. Matt, how are you, man? Good. Although you have me a little confused, I thought we were not here to talk top, top thirty. I thought we were here to talk the Astros cheating scandal, like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a, a quote-unquote fun topic to discuss. Also known as, dear God, what is happening, and you know who else is going to get tied up in that, and what other managers slash coaches are going to get fired over it. But Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get much of that from us because we're going to be kind of specific. Also joining me this evening, it's not going to be Garav, who's been pretty busy with his day job, and Garrett, who really wanted to be here but had a family emergency coming up yesterday, and he's just going to be out of commission for a, uh, for a few days now. And you know, we want to wish our send our best thoughts with him because they're going through a pretty tough time right now. Um, but joining us is someone we haven't had on the show in a long time, and I was on their show, the Platinum Sobrero podcast. Uh, it was might have been a year or two ago now. Uh, is one Doc Herbert. You can follow him over on on Twitter at Braves Herbert. Doc, man, how are you? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, true story, Road to Atlanta was the first podcast I ever did. This was in a time before Platinum Sombrero even existed. So uh, it's uh, it's great to be back. Thank you for thanking me for this. 
Yeah, I actually remember that because you had made the like a composite prospect rankings and like it required entirely too much work and effort for anyone that to, to not get some amount of <laughs> of recognition for it. So I'm like, we're gonna have Doc on. Uh and Doc's turned into a buddy. He's he's joined Talking Shop last season is uh helping out in game coverage. He's gonna be helping out more on the minor league side this coming season as well. Uh we're gonna kinda talk about talk through exactly what we're what that's gonna look like once we kind of get a better sense as to what everyone's schedules look like coming coming forward. But one of the big projects that and we kind of just threw Doc into the fray with us, is we make a top 30 every preseason as well as at midseason. And we basically incorporate all the minor league writers. Everyone makes their own personal prospect rankings, which generally makes 35, top 35, top 37, just to kind of help break ties at the end of the day. Uh, we only take the top 30, but getting into those extra names kind of makes things a little easier down the line once I'm tabulating all the math. And we actually asked Doc to help out both with write-ups uh, as well as put in his rankings as well. So... Uh, what ended up happening is there were seven of us. So make sure I'm counting. The, yep, there were seven rankings. Uh, we dropped the highest and lowest ranking for every player, and then we made a composite, and that was what the list that you saw was. Uh, I only had to break one tie. It was a fairly straightforward tie to break, just simply because there was a, a significantly more uh, ranks for um, one player to be ranked highly. Uh, and the other one was, you know, it was, again, pretty straightforward. Straightforward rankings. Um, I do want to ask first... I'll ask Doc then Matt. When you saw the final list, what was your like initial thought? It was honestly, it was about what I thought. It was um, <clears throat> so many of the familiar names from previous lists with Pache, Anderson, Waters. I mean, it was pretty much we we knew that's how it was gonna gonna wind up being. And then I was surprised by the variance in the 2019 draftees, the way that they were kind of peppered throughout the list and where some of those guys wound up. So. Um, that that was a really interesting draft for me. So I'm glad to see I wasn't the only one who was really, really excited by some of the guys that showed up on the third day. Matt, what about you, man? What was it, kind of your initial thought whenever you first saw the list? Same thoughts as him. I mean, the top couple guys in that order were basically pretty much a given based on any list you look at, whether it's ours or any other sites. I don't really think that you can vary those guys too much. But after that, I mean, it was basically just what Doc said, pretty much what you thought. And then the 2019 guys are mixed in a little bit differently because they're so far away, but the upside is so high. So I have the kind of the added benefit in, in, in terms of what I was looking at is that I was the one that was like tabulating the results of the points and things like that. And uh, I made a couple notes here. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Christian Pache was the unanimous number one. Uh, no one deviated from that. And it didn't feel that close at the end of the day. We, we still really like Drew Waters and Ian Anderson who swapped back and forth votes, uh, for top two or top, uh, for the second and third place. Um, but, Overall, I, I felt that that was going. I felt like Pache was going to end up being over, the, the unanimous number one, and it seems like people have kind of settled into that opinion nationally as well. Um, what I found fascinating was just how defined the tiers were after Pache. That second tier of like two through seven was pretty much was pretty well defined. As I mean, there was a little bit of variance here and there, but not a lot. Uh, and then after that, that eight through I would say probably eight through fifteen, maybe you can go a spot a spot lower than that. Um, to, to Von Grissom, that was very much, there was a lot of variance in opinions and like several of those, for example, Patrick Weigel and Braden, and well, I'll even go to Victor Vodnik. Patrick Weigel and Victor Vodnik were separated by a total of seven points. And that is the number 11th ranked prospect through the number 15. 
I mean, that, there's functionally no difference if like one person changes their vote slightly, kind of in those again, if they're not the highest or the lowest rank, then that could have changed. They could bump the guy up a couple a couple spots. So it just really felt like this year that the the tier, tier two and tier three specifically were really well defined and close. And then after that was a total crapshoot because there was there was a lot of variance in opinions in the after kind of in that bottom half of the list. A lot of guys, some some writers were wanting to really bump up a lot of the um, a lot of the younger guys who were more projectable, whereas some were thinking some were like kind of banking more on those guys who were close but maybe have limited ceilings. And this there was a lot of there's a lot of times I'm having to add these numbers where it'd be like fifteen plus twenty nine plus. 23 plus 17 and it just never it didn't feel like those guys had a set ranking so I'm I am happy where these guys ended up but I and I've I told some folks this who just felt like shouting anyway is that it's really important with these lists to kind of think them more as tiers uh, and we did get yelled at for one ranking in particular and we'll get to that in a minute um and that is that if a guy if you if a guy's like ranked like you think is like a borderline top 10 candidate and it was maybe and was ranked lower than that, maybe a few spots lower. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what he is. It just kind of, that's where the, the number is sort of settled out. It wouldn't be shocking to me if any of those guys that's like within five spots that ends up being more true either way ends up being pretty true as to where they were supposed to be. Um, and a lot of these things change pretty rapidly too. So, you know, with the, with the draft guys, especially once we get better looks at them, especially in full season ball, will have a better sense of kind of what they are and what they can do against more advanced pitching or what they can do against more advanced hitters, depending on, you know, obviously depending on the player, but also their age and things like that. So with these preseason lists, uh, and, and especially the midseason lists where we literally just rank guys right after the draft, the until we really can get a reasonable sample size with these guys in full season ball and getting really strong looks at them without having to kind of just like hope that, you know, the, the information that we're getting from others is correct, I it wouldn't be shocking to me that, you know, some of these guys that we have on the list right now just fall off the list completely or some of them rock it up because that's just what happens, especially with young players. Now, there's one play, and um, I'm going to ask each of you, and because I know I'm going to get differing opinions between the two of you, and I'll ask Matt first so he can say his piece. The the We had two picks that got us yelled, quote-unquote, yelled at. One definitely got us yelled at, and the other one was very shocking just because of how high he was ranked, although that seems to be bared out by others ranking him highly as well, including Fangraphs who yanked ranked him highly, and that was Braden Shoemake being ranked um, 14th, and then Michael Harris being ranked two spots ahead of him. Matt, I'm going to go to you first. Where where did you think that Shoemake belonged, and do you think that Michael Harris was appropriately ranked by the list overall? Yeah, I think Harris was definitely ranked, should definitely be ranked ahead of Shoemake. I think Harris's upside is that of just a very special player. I mean, he's got the power, he's got the athleticism, he's got both the work ethic and just the baseball IQ to be somebody really special. Really, with him, it's just a question of how much he's going to hit, and he hit a lot better in rookie ball than what anyone really expected out of him, considering the hit tool was his biggest question coming out of high school. And while his numbers in Rome weren't great, he held his own there in that short time. So I think, really, you're looking at a potential big-time player, and the rankings kind of reflect that. While Shoemake, yeah, he had good numbers, but the SEC is stronger than the Sally League. So if you're not putting up good numbers as an SEC player, 
who played for three years against SEC competition, and pitching you face in the SEC is significantly better. Those Friday-Saturday starters are significantly better than what you're facing in the South Atlantic League. So it really isn't anything that he proved to me yet, and just a matter of he needs to get to double A and really, really produce for me to actually buy into the fact that he's anything more than what I said before the draft last year, that he's really just a utility guy. I do feel like that I have the perfect two guys to have opposing viewpoints on this, because if you look at the personal rankings, Matt and Doc literally, well, almost literally have Michael Harris and Braden Harris switched on their list. Um, so, Doc, uh, kind of what went into your thought process to kind of where you put Shoemake and where you put Harris and kind of how do you feel kind of where they ended up being ranked? Okay, so with Harris, you know, he was a two-way guy who just drips athleticism. You know, he he is a pure upside play. And regardless of which way they went, whether they kept him on the mound or they transitioned him into a hitter, he's got a really bright future either way, and they opted for hitter. And he, like Matt said, he hit a lot better in rookie ball than I think anybody expected him to. And then the fact that he wound up in Rome as an 18-year-old first-year draftee, I mean, that to me says that they, that the team really, really believes in him. Uh, but I do think because he's going to wind up focusing on on the hitting side full-time now, I think that he might need to be slow-walked a little bit, which is, which is probably good, you know, He's going to have the opportunity to take his time and figure it all out. Uh, hopefully, they won't keep doing these super fast track promotions. I know that there was a shakeup on the player development side after the season, and I think uh, some of that might have to do with some of the aggressive promotions because there were some head scratchers last year. Um, I had him lower than the composite was. I think I had him at let's see, it looks like I might have been sixteen, which. Some of it for me is I just I just want to see him do more. You know, making it to Rome was great, and now now he just needs to hit there. Shoemake, Matt's right about the fact. Yeah, he needed to hit when he was in the Sally League, but he did. You know, and he he wound up getting jumped over Florida altogether. And by the time he hit Mississippi, it looked like he was about at the right level of competition. Now, there was a lot of narrative around him about the the way that his uh, the way that his swing is presently that it could be revamped a little bit to tap into some more power and it's not as simple as just oh we're just going to change your swing but um, you know he can make some incremental tweaks to to kind of change um, change the swing a little bit get a little more loft in there and I think that'll be the the big differentiator for him having played in the SEC is really big for him but fourteen. 14 seems a little low for me, for him. I had him at 11 on my list, which, as you get some more some graduations here, Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright are eventually going to fall off the list. I think that he, he's going to jump into the top 10, but he's really divisive. He, I'm trying to think of the, the last prospect that was as divisive as Shoemake is. Well, I can actually – I'll hark to that in a second, right? I, I, so I did have Shoemake ahead of Michael Harris – but they were for me. They were very, they were pretty close. I had I had Shoemake at eleven, and I had Harris at fourteen. And there was again there was back and forth between all the writers on these two guys. And the difference between those two guys at the end the, in the vote totals, Michael Harris had sixty four, Shoemake had sixty six. That, that is again one person changes their mind and it's a dead you know and it's a tie. And two people change their mind and flip them, and then there's it's you know and the other players ahead. So it's not in this particular case, even though the rankings are 
quote unquote dip very different. That is kind of that tier where we saw a lot of really compression in terms of the vote in terms of the vote totals. Um, I really like Shoemake in terms of I think he's going to end up hitting. Uh, I did hear we were hearing and I heard specifically from a couple people that you know they like the range at short and some of the actions, but he was short arming some throws and some people were wondering maybe he ended up having to move to second or that maybe he needs to be able to be at third base where he can kind of set and throw a little bit more. Um, I, which kind of feeds into the whole what position does he end up playing? Um, he is a skinny, skinny guy, and the idea of him putting on any amount of muscle or power is an attractive one, but he's also a college bat, which makes me wonder if this is just the body that he has and how much muscle he's really going to put on. I mean, the, the 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 party line on him is that, you know, he's more projectable than the usual college bats, but how many of these guys in you know, their early 20s really put on that much significant more strength? And the one thing that he does do particularly well is that he can run well, and if he does that, does that impact that, and does that make him move him off short and maybe he has to move elsewhere? He's a weird case because, again, he also has that kind of a weird open stance that, you know, it's line driving. He hits hard line drives, but it's – the changes he would have to make are much more complicated than even just the regular case, like just getting a better bat path because because of that open stance, the, there's more moving parts involved. So I understand some of the skepticism, although I was really heartened by his success in the Sally League. And I, I think you both are right in the sense that he, he was supposed to hit well in the Sally League, but he did. And, you know, and his time in Mississippi was so short, it's hard to draw any conclusions. And truth be told, anyone's draft year numbers, Michael Harris included, it's hard to draw any conclusions because there's, you know, a big change in folks' lives and they've been playing all year and it's a completely different environment in the professionals that for me, I have no problems if Shoemaker rakes for the first half of the season that he's an easy top 10 prospect for me. He just wouldn't be. I would just immediately change. I'd go, you know what? He needs to be moved up because if he can really hit and he can show some power uh, and maybe show some changes in that swing that makes me think he's going to get to that power more, then I think that the hit tool is going to play anywhere, and a guy with a utility tool set is still very valuable in, the, in this game. Uh, in Michael Harris's case, he has more to prove in terms of a, is he going to adjust to what player these pitchers are going to be doing and not just be working off pure raw athleticism. But the raw athleticism is through the roof, and there's a reason why there's a lot of people high, high on him and why, the, and why the Braves went for him on the, as, that, as an early day two pick because he was going to probably get gone. Um, if he wanted to go, if he ended up going to Texas Tech, he would have been a star in college. He just absolutely would have been. It's just, it's just a fact. So, I, I, th- I think that ultimately the Braves got a really high upside guy, and I have no problems with some of the writers here have, being very bullish on him. Um, but in terms of like the separators between, you know, between Weigel and even Vaughn Grissom, that that's like six players. There's very little in terms of those ranking like points in terms of how he made the composite. So. Is Shoemaker a little bit lower than I thought he was going to end up being? Probably. But again, if he, if he hits for the first half of the season and he's in Mississippi again, because I think that they're just trying to avoid sending any prospects down to Florida for any appreciable amount of time that they have, they have, that they like at all, simply because of how hard it is to play period down there. They finally got that stadium situation sorted out. So my thought process was I like the bat. Um, I, not sure what the player is right now. And so I kind of felt like when I put him, I put him at 11. Yeah, I put him at 11 and I thought that was about right, but I'm not super shocked either way, especially given how close the point totals were. Um, before we go on to, we're going to ask a, a couple of random questions. I'm going to ask a couple of these guys, uh, kind of a few questions about kind of what their thought process was at the other parts of the list. But before we would do that, we're going to take a minute to listen to a word from our sponsors. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, we're back. Um, Matt, I'm going to ask you really quick. I know that you may have to leave before we are done recording. Um, first is, uh, who were the hardest players for you to rank overall, just in terms of like how difficult it was for you to really find a good spot for them? Um, really, really the, to figure out exactly where to put the 2019 draftees is the hardest part for me. I mean, it, a guy like uh, Backstrom, who yeah, he had an up-and-down senior season in high school. And he did very well as a pro, but he had so few at-bats. It's where are you going to put that upside versus where are you going to slot in the fact that he really hasn't proven much as a pro yet, and he hasn't had the greatest senior season, even though it was better towards the end of his senior season in high school. So something like that. Or a guy like uh, Jared Johnson, who I know did not make the list, but I think he had first-day stuff, just that he broke out so late in his high school career. And with that very late breakout and the fact that he was not facing very good high school competition, it's kind of hard to rank somebody like that because he basically didn't throw out any amount of innings that you can get anything off of on top of the fact that nobody actually saw those, so... That's 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 definitely fair, um, Doc. I am going to ask you these same questions, but I am going to ask Matt just in case he does have to go. One last question before he can that way he can get on his way. In terms of the guys that you have ranked right now in the top thirty, not 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 the guys who didn't make it, because I do th- I do agree that like guys like Jared Johnson and other guys who didn't make the list have a reasonable chance to make significant jumps on the list onto the list. But of the top 30, who's the guy who has the biggest chance to jump on your rankings in this coming season? Really, it's just those 2019 guys. I think a guy like Backstrom, as he really starts to shine this year, and I'm expecting him to hit, but a guy like him, if he can really start to look like a guy that was once projected as a first-rounder, that would be a guy that would rise a lot. Uh, Specifically, Jared Johnson, I think he's a guy that could rise a lot too because it's just a matter of what people have actually seen from him against high-level competition. Someone like that, uh, a guy who I didn't even rank in my 30s, Stephen Pellini. I mean, how do you not put him as that high upside but completely unproven guy? So I think somebody like that who is very low right now and has a lot of upside for me those are the guys that I would be looking at as big guys that could jump up the list. Even Joey Estes or uh, Tyler Owens, of course, Von Grissom. But I think Von Grissom is already fairly high, so I don't think his rise up the list would be quite as high as some of the – at least in terms of the number of spots he jumps as compared to some of the others. But really, yeah, all those uh, – Caden Morton as well. All right, Doc. Now, the same question to you first. 
when you were ranking, who were the hardest players for you to rank? Uh, CJ Alexander for me was really tough just because he's, it feels like he's been in the system for forever, but he really only had such a small window of when he was productive. And that was right after when he got drafted in 2018. He spent a lot of time last year being injured, but you saw what the bat can do when, when he's healthy in 2018. So do you, is that the real version of him? Is that, is that the one that, that you rank and you, you know, you, he wound up being, where was he in the composite? He was in the, in the teams or he was in the, um, yeah, I think he was right there in the teens. I had him, I had him in the, in the mid twenties just because I'm not positive which version of him is the actual real one. So, um, that was tricky and it was hard for Freddie Tarnock too because the guy's got all the talent in the world. He's just so incredibly raw that he, they need to pump the brakes on him a little bit. I kind of hope that they send him back to Florida. Even even though you like you were saying it's a difficult environment to pitch in, I think that he could benefit from figuring it out before he winds up getting rushed a little bit. Yeah, I see where I I was very similar to where you were, Doc. In that the the 2019 draftees, I just came to accept that wherever I ranked them was probably just going to be wrong anyway, um, <laughs> just because we we have we don't we don't have sample sizes on on these guys enough to really have ranking them with a ton of confidence. I mean, putting Langoliers in the top 10 makes a ton of sense. If you want to put Shoemaker at the back end of a top end of the top 10 to, you know, like the mid-teens, that makes sense to me. But after that, it seems like a total crapshoot as to where to put a lot of these guys, except the fact that we know that they have real talent and we really liked what we saw. But that adjustment in that first season of pro ball is a real one. And sometimes these guys make big jumps. You're like, where'd this guy come from? And sometimes you find out, oh, they're getting exposed a little bit. I mean, we saw that with Drew Lugbauer is a pretty big example of that. Um, a guy that was a, a fairly polarizing prospect in his own right because no one really knew if that that was going to play overall and what position he was going to be playing. Um, and he's still in the system, but I mean, he's not realistically a prospect anymore because the hit tool has been basically non-existent for a couple seasons now. Um, the, the, so the 2019 draftees, I just came to accept that I was just going to, we were just going to be wrong about, and we just kind of want to make sure we are generating an interesting conversation. And there are some really interesting guys, you know, Bryce Ball is a name we haven't even mentioned yet, is a guy who is really exciting, and if he hits anywhere close to where he was last year, uh, as in his first year of pro ball, then he's going to be the best first base prospect the Braves have had in a long time. Um, Frederick Freeman comes to mind in terms of the last guy who was even, you know, that was really a highly, uh, highly regarded first base prospect, uh, realistically. Um, but I was with you, the, the, the guys who were, and I hate to say it this way, the guys who were actively bad in, in a lot of respects were the ones that were really tough because CJ Alexander, he had the elbow injury and then he got hurt again and he just never felt like he was, he got into a rhythm anywhere. He was playing awesome first base. He was playing third. Like what, what is he? What is he supposed to be doing? And where is he, you know, what is, what, what is this guy and where did the guy from 2018 go? Uh, Freddie Tarnock is another guy who was not really that good last year, um, and is a guy who has had some like, you know, was a, was a reliever, but then they trans- transitioned him to a starter. Sometimes he looks great, sometimes he looks really bad. Um, Alex Jackson is another guy that's kind of hard to rank because we know he has power, but it might be by batting two twenty. And you know, as a catcher who had to transition back to catching. You know, what do you really make of that? Especially when you see the Braves are still believing these three guys. Uh, they put Alex Jackson on the 40-man roster, even though, again, he basically hits home runs and not much else, strikes out a whole lot, and hasn't been able to like find a spot on the 
major league level when there was a prime opportunity for him to do so when you know guys were getting old and or hurt. So um, Grayson Janista is another guy I put onto that where there are really smart people, and we're talking like the like Kylie McDaniel's, you know, people in the in Braves player development that really like this guy. But when we look at the numbers and when we look at some of the bats he takes and kind of what the end, end results are, it's hard to watch. So what do we make of those guys? You know, guys who, you know, the scouting in terms of the overall reputation of those guys, and maybe some of that's by pedigree. You know, they remember the guy that was that, that hit lights out in college. Maybe that's some of that's happening. We don't really know. So what ended up happening is that he's just at the back end of the top 30. He's just a guy that's going to be there, and if he doesn't really hit well this year, then we can make him fall off. But for those guys, it was really hard for me, the ones that were not good last year, but enough really smart people were saying this guy's still a real prospect that it was hard to kind of pin down where to put them. Um, whereas, you know, the, the draftees were, were hard to rank, but were not, you know, I, I didn't feel as much pressure to get those right because ultimately I'm going to be wrong about them. I just feel like I'm going to be wrong about a lot of these guys anyway. Uh, I do like the talent and I feel good about where I rank them, but I'm not going to feel bad if I, you know, it ends up where, you know, a guy is much better or a guy falls off simply because that's just what happens, especially when you take that many kind of prep guys on day two and day three who are high upside, but high variance players. That's the best way I know how to describe kind of my thought process with those. Um, so doc, I'm going to ask you about, I want you to look at your top, I don't know, top 15, top 20. We're, we're, that that general range on your list. Who's a guy that is on that on that part of the list that could fall that could realistically fall down towards the bottom of the top thirty, or even fall off the list for you if they don't have a good season in twenty twenty? Ooh, um, hmm, that is a really really interesting question. I think that uh, when you were talking about Grayson Janista, because I, I I still I had him at number twenty. Um. I think maybe somebody like Justin Dean, um, just because I like Justin Dean's skill set, and you know he he's just the fastest dude you're gonna see, but he doesn't he's not like an elite hitter for average. He's not an elite power hitter, and he's he's good at defense, but he's not just he's not elite level. You know what I mean? He does several things good, but he doesn't do anything necessarily elite uh, aside from speed. So. Um, I think that he could probably, if he doesn't put it together, I can imagine he's going to wind up starting in Florida. And if he doesn't put it together, I, I think that he could be definitely towards the back end of the top 30 or fall off it altogether. So I have a, f- a few names that kind of concern me or at least have some high-variance outcomes. Um, Patrick Weigel's a guy just because I, I, I just want to mention that you know betting against that guy is a very bad idea in general. But we don't really know what he's going to look like as a starter a year removed from the injury. And, you know, he doesn't, hasn't really been stretched out for significant innings like he was before the injury yet, which is might just be innings management and that's perfectly reasonable. But he's also a guy that if he can't really stick as a starter, uh, there might actually be other relief prospects on this list that are better than him. Um, so he has to stick as a starter and really kind of show that he's kind of put the injury behind him. That, that first year after Tommy John, you know, that, that, that is not a knock and he ended up, all of us, with uh, I think one exception, didn't really rank him. Everyone ranked him right around where he ended up being ranked, right around right around eleven, a little bit up and down, 
uh, across that ranking, but it was right around there. But if he's a guy who can't stick as a starter and ends up getting a relief profile or gets used as a reliever in Atlanta, uh, his profile changes pretty dramatically for us, especially if the velocity, like that pre-injury velocity where he was like approaching triple digits. If he can't do that anymore either, uh, his profile changes a lot for me. Uh, Victor Vodnik is another interesting name because I really love the arm. And especially if he can stick at a starter, I mean, that's another guy who, like, throws absolute gas, and the stuff is really good. But he also, like, missed some time with some silly stuff, and he is a guy that hasn't really been able to, like, harness his stuff completely yet. This is a prep arm we're talking about, so he should be given all the time in the world to do so. Um, but he's a guy that could end up having a reliever profile, which would drop him on the list. Uh, it's kind of hard to put a reliever, even one with a good arm as good as his, that high on the list. And he could drop into the back the back of the top 30 for me. Uh, I had uh, Hayden Deal at number 17, and he's another guy that I really like, and I kind of like the idea of a guy that has a cutter that is really good uh, as kind of a unique way of being able to get um, opposite-handed hitters out. But he's also a guy that trailed off in the second half, and that's something that we definitely notice. Uh, and you know, he's also a guy, and he's getting a little older. So if he doesn't move quickly and perform well next year, it's hard to kind of project a guy who's older to you know, just all of a sudden just, you know, be like a, a, a back end of the rotation type uh, if, he just can't, if he can't get his way out of high A or if he can't, you know, pitch his way out of double A. Um, and I also had Waskar um, Inoa uh, at number 20 exactly, and I'm 80% certain he's a reliever. I'm not even sure he's that great of a one. Uh, I know that, that there are others who don't have that opinion amongst the staff, and they think that he's better than that. Um, but if he doesn't actually show the ability to – like consistently throw strikes and like consistently limit, you know, the hard contact, then he'll move further down on the list than I will. But he's also kind of a high variance outcome where I could see him all of a sudden, like, you know, like putting together like two months where he like goes six, seven innings and strikes out a million batters. Uh, and I have to rethink my thinking on him. But those are kind of the guys that for me that are going to be the toughest to sort of, uh, I'm going to be the toughest on in terms of like if they don't really perform well, that they're going to be moved down on my list specifically. <laughs> I actually had two different guys, two of the guys that are pitchers who broke out from the upper minors last year, really out of nowhere, Phil Pfeiffer and Jeremy Walker. And for them, it's just a matter of seeing a little bit more consistency for just one year. I mean, we saw it with Chad Sabatka the year before. So relievers are high variance anyway. And without a track record, I really want to see that second year from them. Well, and there you have it, guys. Um, again, this is a little bit of a shorter show. We wanted to just kind of get our thoughts out there about the list. If you want to read the list, make sure you go to talkingchop.com. There's a section devoted specifically to the list itself. There's five installments of the top 30, but there's also an honorable mention section where you kind of saw the names that just barely missed the list, some of the names that Matt mentioned specifically, and guys that were, that were relatively close that could jump on the list very easily. Uh, these are all Those are all articles that you need to be reading. Uh, thank you again to Matt, who is, it sounds like he's driving home now. Uh, thanks for, to Matt coming on. And Doc, it was really good having, back, having you back on the show, man. I'm glad that you got, decided to make the time to come, or you not decided, that you had the ability to come on the show. Hey, man, like I said, thank you so much for having me. I had a, I had a blast. Have me back whenever you've got an open slot. Oh, absolutely, man. We're, we're, once the season gets started up, it's a lot easier to kind of talk about minor league content. Uh, unfortunately, especially when there's no trades to speak of, um, we're kind of just talking about the same, like, there's no real new content to speak of. Um, you know, I guess we could devote an entire show to, you know, Philip Pfeiffer's Australian Baseball League stats, but I don't want to do that. And um, uh, The only news that 
affects the minor leagues at this point is really the Ozuna signing because not only does it make sure that Pache and Waters are going to get that extra couple of months that they need in AAA, but it affects the draft picks a little bit. Yep, you're not wrong, and that, that's that's something we'll kind of talk about as we lead up to the draft is kind of what the, the Braves draft situation is because there does seem to be a lot of moving parts with that because the Astros – uh, situation uh, does alter the draft order a little bit, and it's possible the Red Sox might be facing similar sanctions, depending on how that investigation goes. So we're going to kind of lead up into the season, especially once we start getting minor league roster assignments and you know what, who's going to be where and how we feel about those assignments. We'll make sure that we get Garab back on the show, get Garrett back. We'll have Doc back on. I know Wayne wants to be on the show as well. So there's a lot of a lot of going to be hearing a lot of voices on Road to Atlanta in the coming uh, season, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you again so much to you guys for listening to the show each, every time we have it. It's just an absolute joy that people continually ask, when is the next one? And we, I get those questions, you know, the day after a, a podcast posts, which, you know, does make me feel bad when we don't necessarily get to a, sh- get to a show as soon as we would like, but it also kind of makes me feel good that people are really enjoying the content that we're producing. If you want to support the podcast, make sure you go to our Twitter at road, the number two Atlanta, where you use a link to our Patreon. If you want to support the show, you are welcome to do so through that Patreon. Um, you know, whether it be a $5 a month or whatever you want to choose. And if you decide that you simply don't want to, or you can't support the show in that way, do not worry. The show is not going to go anywhere. Uh, and if you want to make sure that you don't miss a single episode of it, you subscribe to the talking shop feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, assuming Google Play is actually working or Google Podcast is working the way it's supposed to. Um, if you subscribe to the talking shop podcast, not only do you get that podcast, you also get this one. So it's kind of a two for one deal on that stream. Thank you very much. And for supporting us, regardless of how you do so, we really appreciate all the the love and the listens and the help for us over the years. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.